Hope is the thing with feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers. That's like a bird. Like a bird. That perches in the soul. That perches in the soul. Welcome to the Thing with Feathers podcast, a podcast about birds and hope. I'm your host, birding enthusiast, Courtney Ellis. Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ellis. With us today from the great state of Illinois is Carol Pope Gordon, fabulous bird photographer, retired medical librarian, and fan of puffins. Welcome, Carol. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. Carol, I have been enjoying your photos on Twitter for many, many years, and it's really lovely to see your face because your Twitter profile picture is a bird. I wasn't sure <laughs> if you were a bird. <laughs> Tell us about how you got interested in birds and then in birding photography. When did you start? Well, interested in birds, um, I grew up out in the country in Indiana, and we had red-headed woodpeckers, and I really noticed those, and a wren that would scold us when we would hang things on the clothesline. So I was always attuned to nature, and then when I went to college, I majored in biology, and and I guess I, I thought, I need to know more about birds, so I bought my first little, the, the golden bird book, and um, I've gone through several editions, and now I've got Sibley's and many more. But so um, then when we would go places, I would um, look for things. And I remember we were in Shenandoah National Park, and I just said, oh, I'd really like to see um, a scarlet tanager. And I looked over, and there was a scarlet tanager. <laughs> So, so many years later, um, I met my now husband, and he um, he's an excellent photographer, and he gave me a point and shoot camera, and so and also I was into birds, and so then we started to concentrate on bird photography. So, so now he's learned a lot more about birds because he's a all around good photographer. Um, so we had to learn how to, how to do the birds in flight and all that. And so then as I got better, he kept giving me better cameras. So he, he really did a good mentoring and I'll look at what he's doing sometimes and, and think, Oh, let me try that. But then I've noticed sometimes I'll be doing something and he'll decide, oh, <laughs> I'll do that. So uh, it's it's been an evolution. I love that story. And I think one of the reasons so many people get into birding is that it's this wonderful, affordable habit. You need a pair of binoculars. You need a pair of sturdy shoes. But what happens is birding is the gateway into photography, which is not yeah. an inexpensive habit. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> I see folks yes. out on the trail with these huge lenses, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, that must cost as much as my car. <laughs> it's fortunate that he's been able to afford to get me my own lenses because I kept stealing his. 
that's how you do it. You married well. Right, right. <laughs> so tell us about, you mentioned photographing birds in flight. And I think there are so many barriers to taking a good picture of a bird. They're small, they're fast, they're far away. They like to sit amidst the leaves and the branches. How do you begin to learn how to photograph birds? Obviously, we started out with them sitting. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I think he advised me on, on, you know, shutter speed. We settled on about 800, um, 800 of a second just in general. And I guess you get better at spotting them you know, what to look for. And now uh, something unusual will catch my eye and it will end up being a bird or maybe a different bird. Um, where we live now, we take daily walks. There's a, a park and then um, a prairie part of the park with paths through it. So uh, you get to know the areas where you see certain birds. Um, and then the birds in flight, I think the first time I took a decent bird in flight picture was we had gone to Hawaii and we were in Kauai on Kilauea Point and there were albatrosses and I remember being so excited that I was able to to track and and take a photo and have it be in focus of course you take loads that are not (laughs) but that that was a first that was about mm, 2015, something like that. Oh, what was it like to see albatrosses in person? I've only seen one at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, but to see them in the wild in person. Oh, that that was wonderful. Those were Laysan albatrosses, and it was just fabulous to see them and their wings spread. And, um, and then when we were so fortunate to go to Galapagos, and we saw them close up, and these were um, waved albatrosses, I believe, and they were doing their uh, little mating dance with clacking their beaks and and uh, kind of uh, fencing with their beaks, and that was just that was just amazing. It's hard to describe, but I uh, one thing I've noticed when I go and I'm I'm taking photos of things. I'm really in the moment. It seems like time stands still when I'm focused on something and taking pictures. So in that sense, it's very relaxing because you're not thinking about anything else. You're just enjoying nature and focusing on that one thing. It really is almost a spiritual practice, I think. Yes. I mean, you feel more at one with nature and, and, um, and just the sense of how wonderful nature is. I'm surprised you came home from the Galapagos Islands. I just would have stayed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it was, it was not a cheap date, but it was also, you know, 14 days on a boat. That was quite interesting, but you know, it it was, uh, it was a small group. So there were 10 of us were photographers. And then, um, the guide was, uh, Tui Del Rey and she's a well-known photographer in Galapagos. And she, we specifically took that trip because of her. 
Mm. And she and the guide knew where all the birds were. They knew individuals. A good guide makes all the difference. This is what I've heard from a lot of folks because you can hunt the whole time, but you waste your trip if you can't find what you're looking for. Yes. (laughs) Right. So that's, and that's what we did when we went to visit my daughter in Korea. We, um, we did a two day birding tour while we were there and they took us to uh, the DMZ. We were able to go in there because one of the, there's only a few farmers that can farm the rice fields in the DMZ. And so the guide had a relationship with uh, one of the farmers who escorted us in and he, he was quite familiar with the birds. And that was really interesting because Obviously, he cared about the the birds, the cranes that would come in in the winter, and they would leave uh, a small percentage of their grain for the birds. Mm. Um, so that was that was pretty amazing. I know nothing about the birds of South Korea. What did you see? Uh, well, in the DMZ, we saw several different kinds of cranes. Cinerous vultures, mm. and there's lots of magpies. The magpies are really cool, and and actually, there's a number of Eurasian birds you could see various places, or even in in Europe, uh, uh, like the great spotted woodpecker that you know I didn't realize. And he gave us a. Uh, he gave us the book, the birds of Korea, so mm. that then when we got home, we could identify them. Mm. So it sounds like your global travels are paired with this love of your own backyard and birding nearby. What do you see in the autumn turning into m- winter months in your area? What do you oh, see? In my area? Well, yes, I've noticed that there's fewer bird voices now than like in the spring. I, I'm not hearing the red-winged blackbirds, but then all winter I see downy woodpeckers, flickers, um, we see vultures during the winter here. I know they don't go way up north, but uh, we do see them in the winter here. And red-tailed hawks are more apparent. Yeah, the blue jays, lots of cardinals, and lots of uh, goldfinches, American goldfinches. And that's that's what immediately comes to mind. And uh, and of course, you always see chickadees and nuthatches. <laughs> So there's the little birds and there's the big birds, but yes. It always felt to me, I, I grew up in Wisconsin. It always felt to me like a special sustaining grace to have those little pops of color in the long winter. Like you see a cardinal and you just feel a little bit better because everything is gray and everything is cold and little little spot of, of, of joy in the midst of what's a long exactly. season. Yes, especially in Wisconsin. Yeah, I live here now for a reason. <laughs> Right. The the cardinals, the, the color really pops in the winter when you're taking pictures of them. And yeah. It's always wonderful to see them. 
Do you have a favorite photograph that you've taken when you think of your whole body of work? Is there one that you're like, this, this really is my favorite because it's silly or because it was hard, a hard shot or because it's hanging on the wall of your house? What, what is your favorite? Well, it's hard to say. One of my favorites was a picture of the two albatrosses with their beaks open, looking at each other uh, that I took when they were doing their mating dance. Mm. That was wonderful. Um, and, of course, the puffin pictures that I just took, the, uh, one of the little puffins kind of taking a funny step. I love that one. Um, but I need to print out and put up more of my pictures. Between the two of us, it's hard to decide. And so <laughs> then we, put off, we put off printing them out and putting them up. Although we do have a number of pictures up. Is there a particular kind of bird that you find most challenging to photograph? Is it the hummingbirds? Is it the, okay, we have to travel all the way to the Galapagos Islands to get the picture of this albatross. What's, what's the biggest challenge you face as a photographer? Actually, for a long time, the pileated woodpeckers were my nemesis bird. I once a long time ago had seen one flapping away, but had not really got any good photo ops. And then um, it was last winter, we went to a, a park that's on the outskirts of town that's got a lot of woods and, and I found some. So we kept going there to photograph them. And, and also the kingfishers are very elusive. It's always wonderful to get pictures of them, but they are not very cooperative. And they're so easy to hear. I always get excited because, yeah, you can hear it and then you spot it. But by the time you spot it, it's gone. There is no time to raise the camera. Right. I mean, I uh, last winter... I discovered an area that in the park where the water didn't freeze, and I found that um, for about a month, the it was a male um, belted kingfisher would hang out there and fish, and and a great blue heron would come there too. So it was really cold, but I kept going every day just so I could catch pictures. There really is something to that. You you know, you travel the world to take pictures of exotic birds that you don't have in the Midwest, but also when you get to know a particular patch, you know the birds that are there and you can kind of lie in wait or you can plan your day and there's something really beautiful about that. Right. I I do think about that um, you know, always wanting to get the best picture but knowing that somebody who lives there and can go very often has a better chance of getting different kinds of pictures it's just by chance when you're when you're visiting now nice thing about the galapagos is some of the islands you'd see some of the same types of birds so you get more chances but even so it's not like i'm there all the time yeah and their personalities too right the more i sit with even our little backyard and the birds that are there the more i realize oh, okay you know the the male alan's hummingbird is much more aggressive than the female but that's in part because he's taking care of her you know we have these whole relationships we we recently had a friend in town and he's like i saw some sort of hummingbird and i was like oh yeah yeah that's alan he's our alan's hummingbird we've named him and his wife is named and he was like okay okay you you've lost me um but that familiarity as you get to understand them and their habits i am 
imagine that makes for some really wonderful photographs because you're not just taking a picture of a kingfisher. You're taking a picture of your kingfisher that you've been visiting over a period of weeks or months. Right. Just like there's a beautiful big red tail that I don't know if it's always the same red tail, but, uh, you know, I frequently spot in the park nearby or on the bike path that runs by my house. So uh, that's always fun. And he'll hang out in one a tree near there's a, a skate park. But of course, gets grumpy if he notices, even if you're in the car and you're sticking something out of the car at them, they kind of get mad and move off. This is my forest. Back away. <laughs> exactly. How did your time as a medical librarian, which is such a fascinating field, and I think of I think of librarians in general, but medical librarians specifically as people who really understand the importance of order and the importance of, you know, keeping track of things. How did that background prepare you for birding? How does it influence your time as a birder? Well, I definitely want to positively ID what I'm seeing. <laughs> You know, it's like I want to classify it correctly. And um, I was actually fortunate to do um, a lot with Photoshop as as a librarian. I was involved in the website and also doing some lessons um, that people could access online. And so then I used my pictures in some of them. I mean, and it wasn't just birds. I took it, you know. So then I, yes, I did have to organize my pictures so I could find the right ones. And um, so it's that, that kind of discipline. Mm. I love that part of birding, that whatever you were in your previous life or whatever you do as your day job does influence the way you bird and the way you see things and the way you notice things. And I have a friend who's a pediatrician and a birder, and he said, you know, it's it's noticing, okay, I thought it was this kind of flycatcher, but there's this subtle ring around the eye. He's like, that helps me. When I'm diagnosing a, a five-year-old who has a rash and we haven't been able to figure it out, like those powers of observation... So it kind of goes both ways, right? Your your time as a medical librarian right. makes you a better birder and, and vice versa, I'm sure, because it sounds like they overlapped for a season. Yes. Yes, they, they did. <laughs> so if someone is interested in getting into birding photography, I am an avid birder, but I'm a terrible photographer. I've got my iPhone. Everything is blurry. Um, where would you advise someone to begin? What, what type of equipment, what skill sets should they work on? How should we start? Um, well, as I said, my husband gave me a Canon power shot and, um, you know, kind of get to know your settings. Um, there's some more automatic things on those, but it also had a zoom and it was inexpensive. And um, that, that was really a good place to start. Mm. And, and then as you know, you decide you like it better and want to do better, then you might step up to, a camera that's not just a point and shoot that has lenses that you can add, take off. Um, and yeah, it's, um, 
getting used to sitting and waiting, I guess, for, <laughs> and um, it's really made me notice more things. Like I might not have noticed a barred owl in the tree before, but okay, there's something a little weird about that area over there. Let me look a little closer. So um, just being more observant uh, and being patient I'm not always so patient. Um, and, and so I started taking walks every day with my camera. Although as you get a bigger camera, that gets to be, sometimes I just like taking a walk without a camera weighing me down. But, but I see how they're so connected because part of birding is wanting to share the beauty and the wonder and what you've seen. Right. And when you come home and describe it, it's very different than let's look through a couple snapshots. I finally got the Kingfisher. Right. Right. And then I've in my evolution. Okay. Uh, because yes, I didn't take like really great pictures overnight. And also a lot of the pictures I take, there's, you know, uh, every birder will, or bird photographer will tell you so many blurry shots or not quite in focus shots, but you finally, you know, you take a many pictures, not just one. It's a picture of a warbler. Right. <laughs> they're, they're some the some kind of warbler. A blur. <laughs> it's a blurred. <laughs> yeah, totally. And and that fits with the birding practice too of kind of, you know, there will always be another bird. There will always be another day. And kind of that forgiveness of self and practicing that attitude of I'm learning. This is about right. the process as much as it is about the product, which I think we often lose as adults. You know, I have friends who will say, Hey, let's go to one of those painting nights. And they're like, well, I'm not good at painting. And I'm like, well, yeah, we're not going to hang it at the Met. Like we're just going to paint for fun. And to have birding and photography be part of this joy of curiosity and exploration as adults of learning how to see and learning how to improve just because that brings us joy, not because this is our living or this is our livelihood. Right. Yes. That's why um, when I was a librarian, that's we were thinking about starting a Twitter account. So we all joined Twitter and then I didn't do anything with it until I realized I had these photos and maybe I should start putting some photos up there. And it kind of evolved from there. It is. You are one of my favorite Twitter follows because it's just joy. You know, it's look at this puffin and look at this hawk and you have such beautiful photos in a, in a world that's so divisive over so many things. Birds can be this great unifier. Like, okay, you lean to the left or you lean to the right or you're voting for whoever, but look, a puffin. Let's all just right. stand here and appreciate <laughs> The puffin is beautiful and it's silly and it's, it's this delight that I have never seen a puffin in person and you're bringing me puffins like right to my home office. Bless you. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> oh well, you're welcome. It's, it, it's certainly a big joy for me. It to shows. Share the pictures. And um, I do like finding humorous pictures when I can because I like to bring humor into yeah. it. 
You have a gift for catching a pose that seems to just kind of encapsulate certain birds' personalities. And that one I'm thinking of, and we'll link to your Twitter um, in our show notes so people can find you uh, because it's just such a joy. But the the puffin photo I'm thinking of is the one where he's got one foot in the air. And it's just this, they look like they're all coming out of a clown car anyway, puffins in general. And it's this kind of jovial, jolly, like we're out for a walk. It's such a beautiful shot. How many shots did you have to take to get the puffin step shot? Well, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember how many thousands I took on that trip, and it wasn't all it wasn't all puffins, but yeah, I had thousands. Um, but we were in a blind, so um, a lot of them, when they would come close, we would just start taking a bunch of shots, and. Um, and then after a while, then you start looking for, okay, what's a different angle or, um, okay, now I've got what I need to get some in flight. And that was really hard. They don't look like they would be so fast. You know, they look kind of round and funny. They fly like rockets. <laughs> I always feel for the photographers at our local marsh that are trying to get the tree swallows. Cause I'm like, good luck, oh. like really good luck to you because they're just little blue bullets that are flying through the air. Where was your puffin trip? They were Atlantic puffins. Is that right? Yes. Yes. It, it was Maine and we, we did two excursions. One was to Machaya Seal Island and that's about, 10 miles out. It's, it's north of uh, Bar Harbor. So it's about 10 miles out. It took about an hour hmm. on the boat to get out there. And then we were on the island. But we took another excursion, and it was like Petit Manon Island, I think was the name of it. And so that one was strictly from the boat. Uh, but that was interesting, too, because then you see them in their element because they really only come to land to breed and have the babies. And then the rest of the year, they're all out at sea. Mm-hmm. So so that I was really glad that we had scheduled both of those. Mm-hmm. And I had never been to Maine. So uh, that was that was a great trip. Here is the hardest question for every birder. What is your favorite bird? today what is your favorite bird today well it's it's probably puffins today although you know in general it tends to be ospreys and that's why I use a profile picture of an osprey um but puffins ospreys but yeah I feel a real warmth toward birds of prey that eat primarily fish because it's sad when the Cooper's hawk comes and takes out one of our backyard morning doves. But when they eat, I don't mind if they eat the fish. The fish is like, okay, good. You do you. Osprey are beautiful. Yes. And um, I started watching a few of the Osprey cams and where they were watching certain individuals and really got hooked into that and how much the babies look like. They look like little dinosaurs or little dragons. They totally do. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I always love seeing them. Hmm. And, you know, bald eagles steal their fish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, bald eagles are magnificent, but they're also 
thieving varmints. <laughs> they are. And they're scavengers. Yeah, I saw one sitting on roadkill and I was like, you're better than, like, you're our national symbol. Like, get off the dead deer. Go, go right. hunt for something. <laughs> you're better than that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we... We talk about birds and we talk about hope on this podcast. We've stolen our our podcast title from Emily Dickinson's poem, Hope is the Thing with Feathers. Birds are the thing with feathers, but also hope. (laughs) Where are you finding hope these days as the Midwest starts to take a turn into the winter months, which can be kind of dark and and cold and birdless? Where is hope coming for you? Um, Well, the fact that I can see the birds that, you know, even though it's winter, I can still see birds and, um, that just, well, also efforts to conserve birds. And, um, I mentioned in the thing that I sent to you about, um, the bald eagles, how, how they've come back. I mean, now we can say, oh, I saw, you know, so many bald eagles Um, and the California condors, the fact that they've been able to bring those back from the brink and whooping cranes. And I've seen both of those and that it brought me a lot of joy to see them and, and to think that they almost went extinct. So... So the fact that people care enough to make that happen, I, I know that at times environmentalists have setbacks, but um, yeah, that's that's brings me a lot of hope that um, that those efforts are being made mm-hmm. and that people care that things don't just have to go in a bad direction that they can actually yeah. I was reading recently, so out here in Southern California, we have American white pelicans and we have brown pelicans. And because of the DDT in the 1970s, the brown pelicans were also on that almost gone list. And now they're a species of least concern. They're everywhere. We have tons of them. And what a beautiful, every time I see one now, I have that little spark of like, okay, if we set our minds to it, we can reverse some of this disastrous trend, but it it takes, it takes work. It's happened before. Right. right. And those brown pelicans, man, they're so fun to watch. They're the ones oh. that, that fly and then they dive, you know, and like from like 60 feet in the air. It's such a show. It's it's the best. Yeah, that's right. I love going down to the Gulf <clears throat> and and seeing them. They're special. Uh, we do see white pelicans here. Um, no way. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. In Illinois. Yes. Yes. Uh, we will see them in like Springfield. Sometimes it's in the winter uh, there's another nature conservancy site about an hour north of here called Imaquan, and we've seen them there. So I did not realize at first that white pelicans are inland. Yeah, they like the lakes and the marshes and yeah. So, so it's wonderful to see them and mm. you realize how huge they are. I mean, speaking of dinosaurs, right? Yes. They just look at you with right. that eye and you're like, just thank you right. for not eating me. I'm glad you go for the fish. Right. Well, That's Carol, true. where can people find you and your beautiful, delightful photos? Um, well, I'm on Twitter and I am on Facebook and Instagram 
and more recently, Blue Sky, um, it gets hard to keep up with different social media. Totally. My husband has a website. I keep thinking I, I do need to make one and post pictures because I'm, uh, I've also started painting. It, it, it was like the next challenge was, okay, now I have these pictures. Well, maybe I can paint them. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, keep us posted. That sounds delightful. All right. Well, I will, I will link to all your, your things in the show notes and, um, I'm not on blue sky yet. I got to get on that train. Although, like you said, the fatigue oh, of I trying to see. keep up with multiple. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Send me an invite. Give me in. Yeah. That was okay. really the whole goal of this podcast was to get my blue sky invite. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Well, one of the like get to know nature asked me if I wanted to join that a bunch of nature people had joined. So I said, sure. Even Yay. though it's like, oh, let's add another one, but right. it's a full-time yeah. job at this point. Right. <laughs> well, Carol, thank you so much for the gift of your time and for taking us into the world of bird photography and for sharing just as generously and widely as you do on Twitter to brighten our days and give us a little, a little puff and hope, a little osprey hope and everything in between. Oh, and thank you so much for having me. The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music, to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up. Your soul. Yes, it does.